Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Here we are, Word Podcast, once again, through the miracle of Skype. Hello, Fraser. Good morning. How's the weather with you, Fraser, in Islington? The weather in Islington is, uh, is, is getting dark, I guess. There's a bit of blue left in the sky, but not much. It is our not raining here in Tokyo, <laughs> which will be a line familiar to you if you're a listener to Tony Hancock's Radio Ham. Which I'm not. uh, No, okay, fine. Uh, One thing we ought to just uh, catch up on um, was the last kind of regular podcast that we did was, um, well, nearly regular, was the one that came from uh, Glastonbury. Yes. You were were pretty much, you know, you had your hands on the faders, didn't you, trying to keep order amongst that bunch of appalling show-offs. Yes, they are a bunch of appalling uh, show-offs, and getting a a word in edgeways isn't, isn't easy at all. No, so I just wondered what your what your abiding memories of the of the weekend were. Well, are they fond memories? They are fond memories. I mean, it's my first Glastonbury in fifteen years, and I kind of remember it being a bit like the Wild West. It was before the proper wall had gone up, and so the place was kind of flooded with uh, thieving uh, gentlemen <laughs> who would kind of rob your tent at the at the first opportunity. And it's it's, it's all completely changed now. It's much more sedate, much more kind of family orientated. And a lot safer and much nicer as a result. So, so you didn't find that you, you, you didn't find that boring or anything like that. You, no, no, quite no, no, not at all. No, I had a really good time, and I think I'll actually go again. Having promised myself during the last time I went was much like visiting the Somme with the mud and then the thievery as well. That I would never go again. It was quite nice to go back and actually have a good time. Right. So, what was your personal high point? Well, Neil Young was, which I know was covered. At some length in the previous pod, in the Gustavry podcast, but he was fantastic. And I, I mean, I've seen him with a few different bands. I've seen him play with Booker T and the MGs and with Pearl Jam and and, uh, and a couple of other times. And he's always been good, but never great. And this was genuinely great. And he he, he played all the kinds of different Neil Youngs he could. So there was a, a bit at the piano and a bit on acoustic guitar. And he really looked like he was enjoying himself, which is uh, from the sourest man in rock. 
you kind of don't really expect. And was it, there was a lovely <laughs> bit near the end where he was cheerleading the audience with this kind of insane grin on his face, waving his arms from side to side and trying to get everyone to join in. It was lovely. I think he, I got the impression he decided to be good Neil for that week that he was in Europe, you know, rather than being awkward sod, I'm going to play my unlistable new album, Greendale, or whatever it's called. Yeah, no, he didn't you know, know any of that. It, it literally was 90 minutes of songs you knew, which was fantastic, and which was the thing that Bruce Springsteen singularly failed to get right. He, he, he started, Did he really? Well, his first dozen songs included one single. And A dozen? Yeah, his first dozen songs contained one single, which was uh, the one off the new album, I believe. And given that you're not playing to your own fans, you're playing to a hardcore down in front of your fans, and everyone else is kind of non-committed and curious and wants to be impressed, I think it was a shocking kind of decision to take. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's, that's pathetic, that is. I thought he would have known better, really. I, I would have thought so, because he's, he's the master at getting it right. You know, when he did the Super Bowl, he did his, his greatest hits in 12 minutes, and it was unbelievably good, but this was... He got it wrong. And I think, to be honest, he did... Uh, pull things around by the end of the set by including, you know, the river and born to run at the death. But by the time that had come around, the field wasn't as full as it was when he started. You see, I don't think they noticed that kind of thing. No, I think because from my I, stage, I, you wouldn't. I, I, you know, I think it's ridiculous. Now, I don't think anybody tells them this kind of thing. And I think also they've... And if you're Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young... One thing you can guarantee is that they have never, their 19-year-old selves, have never stood amongst a huge, great crowd at an enormous uh, show of the kind that they're playing nowadays. They've never done it. But they have sp- no idea Neil the Young, experience. at least, has, has played festivals. Bruce Springsteen, I believe this was his first British festival. He, he does his own big gigs. He doesn't join he, the head of other bills, man. No, I'm sure that's true. Um, but still, it's the scale of these things themselves, whether they're festivals or just big outdoor gigs, that has just grown and grown and grown. And and it's surpassed the individual experience of the artist. You know, they don't know what it's like. You know, because if you're, if you're in a huge, great crowd at a festival, here's the thing you're looking at most, the sky. Yeah? yeah? <laughs> or a glass Particularly- of flags. Okay. Block out the sky. But, you know, if you're a short ass like me, you know, you, you, your only choice between looking at the back of somebody's neck, uh, the only choice is either looking at the back of somebody's neck or just looking up at the sky. Yeah. And uh, the temptation to look at the sky is absolutely enormous because the bit that's supposed to be the focus of your your enjoyment is this tiny thing a long, long way away. Well, what, and what it's I, just easier to ignore it than to focus on it. What I actually noticed, because I spent about 40 minutes kind of walking around the crowd right to the back at the top of the hill and down the sides, and you realise that most people are actually watching on TV. They're not looking at the stage. And because of all the flags are, you can't actually see the stage, so they're actually watching on television. It, it, which can't really be the point, can it? But on you the know? other hand, if you didn't have them, you wouldn't be able to see a thing. No, I suppose so. It'd be like I went, not being there. You know, well, you know me, I'm not a huge festival goer. I went on Sunday to um, to the Wireless Festival in in Hyde Park. Uh, well, it was kind of all right, but the, 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 Hyde Park had obviously it had been the, uh, the 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 site of a number of shows over a period of time. It had Bruce Springsteen had played there, Neil Young had played there, I think Blur had played there. 
somebody else played there. You know, they'd marked out, you know, this huge, great stockade, <clears throat> which is what they do. And they have a number of shows in a two-week period. Well, of course, for two weeks in London, it's not rained. And so the, the ground, the grass had just been worn away, and it was just dust underneath, you know? So you felt you'd kind of gathered at the, um, you know, at, at, the, at the site of some ancient desert battle. <laughs> you know, the, 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 it, you know my, I went with one, one of my daughters who said, thank God I haven't got asthma, you know, in here, you know, because it's just, it's, it's, it's clouds of dust sweeping across the flatness of Hyde Park. Anyway, Be- better that that's than, one thing. Better that than lots of rain and lots of mud. I, I, absolutely true, and and you know I'm I'm a Namby Pamby, you know metropolitan, you know I, I go to a festival when I can go on the Piccadilly line, and you know, and and, and, Over and, an hour and leave. And, and, absolutely, but anyway, um, there were there were kind of two lots of shows on at Wireless. There was the big stage, you know, there was Q-Tip and uh, and Kanye West and so forth. And they were, they were they were fine, but it was the the effort they were putting in was mainly drifting up into the air. That's what it does, you know. It just goes up. The stuff that were, that was intense was the things that, forgive me, were intense. Right. You know, you know that they they had a couple of uh, of smaller stages in inside these kind of rounded tents that everybody seems to use nowadays, and once inside. People get really excited. <laughs> they get excited because they're in the dark and because there's a roof over over the top of them. And, and, and also, you know that there's a limit to the numbers of people who can get in. You feel like you're yes. where somewhere else, where, and other people aren't there. Whereas out in the field, you know that everyone's there. And so I go into one of these tents, and there's Daniel Merriweather playing in there. You know, I know nothing about Daniel Merriweather, but I'm prepared to venture that he is not one of the greatest live performers we have ever seen but he's going down a storm yeah he's going down a storm because he's in a perfect place to go down a storm yeah you know and it's surrounded by i don't know you know maybe a thousand people who want to have a good time in the dark uh whereas you know jay uh, 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 kenya west and and q-tip or whatever are performing in front of people who have a million distractions you know Having a drink, having a snog, wandering around, <laughs> looking yeah. at the sky, playing football or whatever. Well, I suppose if it doesn't bother, if it doesn't bother Kanye West, there's no reason it should bother me. But um, that's my but perpetual. You'd much rather be having a good time in the dark. Well, I t- <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. You know, these things. You know, darkness kind of works, except that actually, the one, uh, the one um, caveat to that is that the Kanye West, as ever. Uh, you know, as the as is the headliner's prerogative, wanted to go on really late. You know, the headliner always wants to go on when it's dark, yeah. And so it's dark. I don't know in London at this time of at this time of year. What about quarter past nine or something like that? Yeah. Well, by that time, people are knackered. People are drifting off. The time to go on is six o'clock, when everybody's they've been there long enough to be to be warmed up, but they're not absolutely exhausted. You right. know. So there's a huge mismatch, I think, between the energy on stage and the energy of the artist, of the, of the, of the audience. And I don't think the artists are ever aware of that. I wonder if they play festivals in northern uh, Norway, where the darkness is much more prevalent. <laughs> they actually go on earlier. Yes, it could be. It could be. 
Anyway, the the, the um to to come up to date to this week, uh, which is obviously the last week has been dominated by the uh, the death of Michael Jackson, which I, I I make no apologies for finding personally fascinating. Fraser, are you with me? Yes, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he was the most famous man in the world. Why wouldn't you be fascinated by his peculiar death? It's it's almost to the stage where the death is kind of the least interesting thing about it. Now, that's a very callous thing to say. It's a human being, you know. But I didn't know the man as a human being, and and I, I don't know if anybody really did, you know. But he was immensely famous. The thing I find fascinating are the events that have come along in the wake of the of the death you know the, this this last week or however long it's been since it, since it occurred have been just packed with incident and speculation and of course yesterday was the um was the uh memorial service slash funeral slash wake call it what you will took place you know if i'd said to you three weeks ago fraser tell you what michael Jackson's gonna die and they're gonna have they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna have the funeral at the staples center in los angeles you know because they couldn't get the o2 or whatever you know you'd think i was having a you know a bitter joke wouldn't you at the expense of modern celebrity i'd, I'd want to know where to get tickets to be honest <laughs> well, you would, speaking yeah. as a man who had an O2 ticket. Well, you haven't got it yet. No, you? but I, I kind of think that the, sh- the show should almost go on. I mean, you know, the man may be dead, but the industry hasn't paused for a breath in the slightest. And I, I think, well, I, I, I think kind of on, the, the O2 sh- show should go ahead. There should be like um, the Blue Man Group shows or, or the Beatles Love thing in Las Vegas, where, I mean, you know that these shows weren't reliant on, on Michael Jackson's participation to be spectacular. He was going to play a very small part of that. He'd turn up for 15 minutes and, and stumble around the stage a bit, or maybe dance well, who knows. But he's not... There's no reason why I don't think those shows could go on without him. So I think they should. And I think it would be a celebration of his music. I think the same people would show up. The, the end result, I imagine, would be very would be uh, not very different from what you'd got if he, if he was alive. I think it'd go on with the show. Well, I, well, I, uh, you know, I didn't find out he died until the morning after, and I kind of, I woke up, you know, very early, and just, I mean, it was one of those classic things where you're woken up by the sound of Radio 4, you know, slowly coming in. Um, uh, Michael Jackson, and then you hear him referred to in the past tense, and so it's, it's very obvious that something, you know, significant has occurred. And I, I kind of, Stumbled upstairs and wrote something on um, on the word uh, on the word blog wordmagazine.co.uk. You know, and it pretty much said, you know, I don't think this changes anything. No, and I think that's that's proved to be true, hasn't it? I'm not pretending I had great powers of prescience, you know, but as every day goes by, it the more the more clear it is that this doesn't doesn't. The Michael Jackson industry doesn't break its stride here, does no, it? No, my, my prediction is that before the end of the year, there will be a huge production, big money show in Las Vegas devoted to the music of Michael Jackson. And and the ownership of that of that event will be a very interesting thing to know about, won't it? You know, yeah. which probably 
accounts for the uh, you know for a lot of the wrangling over over who's in charge of uh, you know his legacy and and the will and and so forth. Anyway, with before a bit we of luck, it'll be the delightful Joe Jackson. Yes, what a, what a sweetheart he is, yeah. Joe Jackson, t- number one in our list of pop dads. Yeah. You know, slightly ahead of Murray Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because he was the man who, who took the uh, took advantage of the press conference outside the the home of uh, of his late son to plug the fact that he had a new record company, didn't he? Yeah, is he, did he talk at the it, funeral yesterday? I, I missed it. I think he was one of the few that was kept off the stage. Actually, I, um, he was kept uh, off or I think I think I think one of the I think people have said, Joe, I think you've gone far enough when he did the <laughs> impromptu press conference. Where he said, "We have, I have a new record label," and he introduced one of the artists, honestly, in front of the world's media, and said, "We're very excited about this. We have all kinds of things set up. We have Bluetooth. I know Blu-ray. Sorry, Blu-ray. It clearly somebody said to him, uh, Joe, the new technology of the music business is, is Blu-ray, and so he just said, "Yeah, we have Blu-ray," as if it was kind of." Coast Coast distribution or something. He had no idea what he was talking well, about. I mentioned the, I think it, the whole uh, Jackson family is kind of a bit technophobic. I saw a clip this week of Michael, I think fairly recently, being interviewed in a TV studio, and, and the footage was of the shot being set up, and he was fascinated by the cameras. And one of the film uh, people handed him one of these kind of compact, high-resolution cameras, and he was kind of fascinated. And he said, "Does it film in slow motion?" Now, I think you might play it back in slow motion, but filming in slow motion is kind of... That's a tricky one. <laughs> amongst, the, amongst the many um, interviews, that are, uh, pieces that have appeared in the last week, um, claiming to be the last interview with, with Michael Jackson done years ago, you know, and Mark Ellen has one of these, doesn't he? And, uh, and I think... Uh, Danny Baker has one of these, and you know, and they're all they're all re- re- really interesting. One of them was with Trevor Nunn, the right. uh, the theatre director. Did you did you see this? No, I didn't. Uh, where uh, Michael had been to see something. I think he he Trevor Nunn had done Cats and Starlight Express and various very spectacular theatrical productions, and Michael had got in touch. Oh no, he did. yes, he'd met Elizabeth Taylor, and through Elizabeth Taylor, he got to speak to Michael. And it was genuinely fascinating to, um, you know, to hear uh, Trevor Nunn recounting his uh, conversations with Michael Jackson. And Michael Jackson genuinely did know everything there was to know about Peter Pan. You know, <laughs> but he, he, did, he did believe in this magical world. You know what I mean? He found it easier to believe in the magical world than he did to believe in the technical world. Yeah. I can imagine that to be true. Yeah. And it's, it's anyway. Um, to believe it. So, um, in Los Angeles yesterday, there took place this bizarre uh, wake memorial service funeral at the Staples Centre. And uh, we, were f- I, I, we were fortunate enough to have somebody there, Fraser. A foreign correspondent. So we have a foreign correspondent. Amy Pickard, who's a, who's a filmmaker, writer, based in Los Angeles, and she applied and somehow got one of these very, very rare tickets to be there in the Staples Center at this extraordinary event. And earlier today, I spoke to her and asked her to describe it. Well, 
I definitely uh, didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be more like a gig and less like a funeral. Uh, but then once I got there, uh, I definitely, you know, came upon the realization that it was definitely more like a funeral and less like a gig. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to be set up like a concert. I was actually excited to go, but then felt slightly guilty that I was excited to go to a memorial. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's but how I, many? You know, I I am a junkie. There's there's how many people there in the in the Staples Center? I think it was something like fifteen thousand, maybe. So give us an idea of what kind of people were there. It was. I was really surprised. It was a real mix. Uh, there were uh, not a lot not a lot of older people, but there were a lot of. Uh, older African-American people who obviously grew up with the Jackson 5 in their communities and things. And, and there were a lot of, uh, it, was, it was a mixed bag. Normally in Los Angeles, you expect at any kind of event to see a lot of Hollywood types and a lot of VIP, you know, uh, people. But it was a really good kind of normal mix. And I was kind of, uh, you know, interested in seeing if there was going to be a freak show aspect, some crazy MJ fans. There was only a few of those that I saw. I, I, I was expecting, you know, open weeping, wailing, throwing themselves around, you know, to try to get close to the Jackson family. But it was all very dignified and, and surprisingly respectful, although I did uh, pop out to the loo during uh, Usher's performance, and the woman next to me uh, had a medical mask on and sunglasses in the ladies' room, and I thought that was a little odd. <laughs> but generally, people behaved in, in what you might consider a seemly fashion. Yeah, it was the vibe was definitely different than a normal concert. I'd been to concerts at the Staples Center before, and, you know, when you're sitting there waiting for the event to take place, there's usually kind of a, a, an anticipatory buzz around the arena and the lights are up and you see everybody milling around. This was completely different. It was a very muted, very uh, somber atmosphere, even though they had Michael, Ju Mike Michael Jackson music playing kind of softly in the background. They didn't have any kind of uh, fast Michael Jackson songs or groovy dance songs. It was all very uh, slow songs, ballads, and it was very kind of played low down. And the lighting was very odd. It was kind of this dark blue glow that kind of was cast over the whole arena. So it was definitely, I, I remember making a note thinking, um, you know, is this going to be more celebratory or, or jubilant as the show goes on? But right now it seems very much like a funeral. So what was the what was the moment you found most moving? I thought the most moving moment was Stevie Wonder. For me personally, just I'm a music fan and you know to to hear Stevie's voice, it was very simple, just him, just a piano. It was incredibly powerful. He was uh very emotional. And he sang, never dreamed you'd leave in summer, and that sort of drifted into they won't go when I go. And it was, the lyrics were very appropriate, and it was uh, unbelievably moving. So, yeah, even um, even my cold, dead heart uh, managed to make me summon a tear. <laughs> so, uh, and what was, the, what was the moment that made you summon a, a cynical smirk? Uh, there were a few of those, I'm not going to lie. Uh, 
I think when it was just sort of Barry Gordy sort of glossed over the fact that, uh, you know, Michael, uh, he referred to Michael's questionable decisions. Uh, there was a few speeches that were, you know, sort of trying to canonize him and say what a great father he was. And I, I was just thinking he was a drug addicted father, but OK, you know, I'll, I'll stay with you. Um, and, and that was the whole that was the whole surprising thing for me about being there in person rather than watching it on television was he, I definitely came away with the opinion that Michael Jackson was a person rather than a personality. And that actually really surprised me because uh, I'm not the biggest MJ fan. So uh, the interesting thing to me seems to be the people who weren't there that, uh, you know, his, um, his wives, and, uh, mm. and close fen- friends like Elizabeth Taylor and uh, and Quincy Jones. Uh, was do you think people were aware of that? We didn't feel any kind of you know lacking of of celebrities, or you know we just figured they wanted to mourn in private. We you know there's no question that they those people were close to him. Uh, although I did hear a couple women uh, wonder where Oprah was uh <laughs> as if oprah has to come to every national event <laughs> well it was it was but, uh, widely anticipated that the president would be there wasn't it that he went off to uh, to russia oh i didn't i didn't actually hear that i mean i, I know that they said something about a statement was going to be read or i think al sharpton the reverend al sharpton referred to a statement about obama but you know that was another thing where i was kind of like mm, i don't know if i'm going to buy that but reverend al sharpton basically uh imparted that michael jackson is the reason for everything basically for for every single famous person ever asians whites blacks <laughs> the whole world over <laughs> What do you think you'll think about it in the future? I think I can say I was there, you know. I was there uh, as as a witness to a, a moment in, in pop culture history, and uh, it, it, it was weird. It was very odd. It was an odd feeling of uh, excitement for being a part of it, but then also realizing that it's the loss of someone's, you know, close family member. And... Um, yeah, I just I think it was uh, um, I, I don't regret going, but it was definitely it was emotionally draining. I, that, I know that sounds so American, <laughs> but it really was. It was uh, it was upsetting. It, and I have no obviously I have no connection with Michael Jackson other than being a fan of his earlier music. But um, it was it was a fascinating uh, look at someone who's lived their whole life in the spotlight right up till the end, you know. We didn't know that the casket was going to show up. And so when that was, you know, wheeled in, it was kind of a a very heavy, uh, impactful moment for everybody in the arena because we didn't know that that was going to turn up. So it just seemed um, seemed weirdly appropriate for, for a family who's lived their life in the spotlight. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. There we have Amy Pickard recalling a story that she'll be able to tell for the rest of her life, I would imagine, Fraser. It's the dinner party anecdote to to beat them all, isn't it? I went to Michael Jackson's wake in front of thousands and thousands of people. Do you wish you'd been there? I'd I'd love to have been there. My kind of angle on all these kind of things is show me where history's happening and I'll jump on a plane, you know, however absurd the story is. I love this kind of thing. The thing I'm curious about in Amy's piece 
was the bit where she describes going to the toilet and uh, during Usher and standing next to this uh, person who's dressed up in a surgical mask. Now, who got invited to this event? Did they have an allocation for fans, or was this someone who had a, a kind just... of a role in Michael Jackson's business that decided to dress the part? Don't... No, it was an open ballot, you know, okay. you know, hundreds of thousands of people applied and, and 20,000 people or whatever it was uh, actually actually got in, you know. So uh, Lord knows why this particular individual was, be- was behaving in that fashion, but they are walking the streets of Los Angeles as we speak. <laughs> you know. So think yourself lucky you're in Islington. So some people on the word uh, website have been saying, there's too much fuss about Michael Jackson. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I think you know, you're going to kind of put aside your preconceptions when you talk about Michael Jackson. However much you dislike him, however much you kind of find his behaviour to your distaste, there's absolutely no doubt that he was one of the biggest stars the world has ever seen, and people will make a noise when he's gone. But also, there's these. You know, have, has there ever been? An enormous, great kind of mad pantomime like this, you know. There just hasn't, has there? This is a piece of strange entertainment, isn't yeah. it? I mean, there are parallels it, with the, with the Diana, I guess, in this country. But also, Diana Spencer did not come from a showbiz family. No. Who had showbiz in their every, you know, every last trace of their DNA. That's what they do. And, um, so even the death is part right, of that, isn't it, I guess? And even when you, you look at those children and that bizarre business at the end where the daughter made you know, uh, made some remarks about the father, and God knows what the story is with those children, and, and I, I, I guess we won't know for 10, 20 years or something like that, but they're showbiz kids. Yeah, but do you, do you think there's no one standing it to one side and going, this isn't a good idea? I don't think there's anybody doing no, that. I, because think I, think, I think the people who might have done that, it's interesting to me, uh, I was talking to Amy about it, is the people who weren't there, neither of his wives were there, close fr- friend Elizabeth Taylor wasn't there, Quincy Jones, career you know, counsellor, wasn't there either. Yeah. You know, so now those people who Wasn't I'm sure with Corley Culkin there. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think they remained friends, didn't they? I think possibly. Well, he only ever associated with people who, who were either child stars or had been child stars. Yeah. Because he reckoned they were the only people who understood. Um, but I do think it's interesting that those people who must, in their own way, be quite strange. Obviously said, I'm not going there. <laughs> That's just too weird. That's too weird. That's a bit of a circus. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going I there. I want no part of this. Yes. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll remember him in my own special way. <laughs> anyway, so that's... I won't say we won't return to the subject. We probably will. But um, anyway, uh, in other news this week, Fraser, the yeah. Ashes. Yep. The Ashes have started today. Um <laughs> I've been sitting at home working with the ashes on in the background, which is no way to work at all. And I'd just like to put to you two things, okay? Okay. 24-7 sports coverage. Is it bad for your health or not? Because you can't escape from stuff like this nowadays, can no. you? 
you can't kind of go away and say, I'll catch up with the score later. Because you know it's only one click away, don't you? Yeah, but at the we same time, I, I don't feel obliged to watch it anymore. Because I know oh, that I'll switch on the TV and there'll be sport on. And I know that because I have Sky, that I'll be able to catch up with the highlights or whatever, whatever because it's repeated all the time on, on the Sky News 24. I don't feel like I have to sit down at 10 o'clock to watch the coin toss. I feel I'll get it all eventually anyway. You see, I, I feel if it's going on somewhere, this particularly applies to the test match, I sort of have to know, you know. I have to know whether it's appalling or whether it's slightly better. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a very English form of... It's masochism, isn't it? You know, you just want to be tortured. And, uh, and the torture is available. Uh, just the, uh, you know, the, the click of a mouse. Yes. Um, so... Um, you know, there it is. And um, and the other thing I, I wanted to mention, because I don't know if anybody, if any linguist has, uh, has, has devised a, uh, a technical term to describe this, but whenever an Australian sportsman is interviewed, and you'll have ample opportunity to test my theory over the next few days, a question is put to them about anything, their initial answer will always be... The first two words will always be the same. What do you think they are, Fraser? Tell me. The first one is, or, and the second one is, look. Yes. Yeah? They always go, or, look. Yeah? <laughs> you know? So, so somebody will say, do you think you're going to rub the English noses in the dust? And they will apparently modestly go... Oh, look, nobody would say anything as crass as that. And then three sentences later, they will say, yes, we will rub the English yeah. noses in the dust. You know, it's, they preempted it's like, it. They preempted it. You know, you couldn't accuse me of arrogance because I started off saying, oh, look, I'm not an unreasonable person like that. No. So, so uh, you know. that? Do the, the Australian Cricket Academy, they have media I training and, and they're taken aside and said, look, start off humble and then go for the throat. <laughs> I don't think it's just cricket. You need to listen to Australian rugby players, the tennis players, or whatever. You'll hear exactly the same thing. We must have listeners to this podcast in Australia, Fraser, mustn't we? We must. We must have people who can tell us. Does this have a name? Is there a term for this at all? <laughs> if, or am I, am I the only person who's noticed this? I can't believe there aren't whole programs about this. The Australian habit of going... Oh, look, you know, deferential, deferential, deferential. Now let me kill you. Exactly. That's, yeah. the, way, that's the way they work. Anyway, uh, so if anybody's got anything to offer on, uh, on, on, on that subject, you know, uh, please get in touch. Any, any other hot topics we should cover, Fraser? Anything occurring on the website anybody should know about? No, You've got your, got your Tanara, Tea with Tanara win contest going yeah, on? That, that would uh, finish today. We have ten winners, uh, nine of whom will be uh, standing on the audience, and one of them will be... Uh, Standing by the side of the stage after taking tea with Tarawin. Yeah, uh, the show at the Roundhouse tomorrow. Uh, oh, it's tomorrow is yeah. at the Roundhouse. God, Tarawin. If you're, uh, you know, if you're at all interested, are uh, one of the great, one of the great live experiences. And they should be. They're not anymore because they've, they've kind of abandoned the chorus line of ululating ladies. So I just loved. And I think adds so much to the kind of atmosphere. And they don't do it anymore. And that's. I think. I know. With one of them went on maternity leave back to Marley, what and then last time I saw that, they got a different one. They don't have a chorus line of ululating <laughs> ladies. They have one ululating lady. That's all you require. There wasn't an they ululating are... lady at Glastonbury. 
Oh really? Yeah. Oh well, they've they've probably picked one up on the you know on on the way to on the way to the roundhouse, and uh, you know, but if if you're at all in the market for anything like that, go and see them because they're absolutely fantastic. They are, they are brilliant. Fraser, what's this I read about Google are are now uh, getting into Microsoft's territory? I was reading this today. What's they they're yeah. going to do next? It's just a headline I read. I haven't gone into the story in deep and any depth, but they've released an operating system, which means they're going to be competing with Microsoft and, and Linux and uh, and, and um, Apple, obviously. And it's a process, so it's, it's aimed. At, it's a very lightweight operating system aimed at netbooks and and uh, laptops initially, but beyond that, I don't know any detail. So eventually, we're all going to be working for for Google. That's basically how That's it works, isn't it? Certainty. All right. Okay. You had an idea the other day, Fraser, um, which we could throw a, an appeal out. We wanted to do a feature on things that readers do, didn't yes. we? This was prompted by a thread on the site where one of the readers um, revealed that he'd just got an eighteen-month contract to go and work in Antarctica. And, Antarctica. Uh, which Not Milton Keynes, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Antarctica. Which literally makes me seethe with all kinds of rage and jealousy. And I thought it would be interesting to find out what other readers do, and maybe we should talk to them on the podcast and find out what it is they do. So if, you, if you've got a, a particular occupation which you think would interest us for, let's say, a minute, because we're not, <laughs> we don't have endless patience. <laughs> so, you know, 18 months in Antarctica is a good start, isn't it? What do yeah? you think he's doing? I don't, I, we want to know. We yeah. want to know. We got somebody who got in touch ages ago who used to listen to the podcast while navigating an entire an entire super tanker somewhere in the South China Sea, didn't they? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that that kind of thing. Okay, I'm sure that so the, if you, the, the congregation is full of these people. If you're working in a call centre in Bromsgrove, think again, you know. But if you if you're navigating a super tanker or in Antarctica or anything anything really colourful. We want to know. Just get in touch with Fraser. How do people get in touch with you, Fraser? They can email me, fraser at wordmagazine.co.uk. And we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 